Hey, it's Rochelle, and you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a production of Catholic Answers. Welcome to the place to transform the world by transforming yourself. So, summer's coming to an end. How are you coping? Many people are returning to school, or your children are returning to school, and hey, Have you noticed that Target is now stocking Halloween decorations? I know, it's still August, but there you have it. I don't know about you, but I find summer to be quite a precarious time in my spiritual life. In my parishes, I've always noticed that the pews seem a little bit sparse on Sunday with some people out of town on vacation, or sometimes I'll see an influx of new faces from visitors. Either way, this inconstancy together with the fact that there's no big liturgical preparation going on like Advent or Lent can sometimes make this period seem like it's like this long stretch of just like humdrum, you know, that there's nothing big going on, right? But that's not the case. But regardless, sometimes I find that I can come down with a case of mediocre Catholicism where things just kind of become a little lukewarm, a little tepid, my prayer life, my prayer routine is a little bit more laxed, and maybe that's just like those lazy summer days creeping into my spiritual life. I don't know. It's an ongoing problem every summer, and I was talking to Jesus about it not too long ago. He reminded me that there is a time for everything. In Ecclesiastes, It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what has been planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, and it goes on and on. And I realized that our worship is no different. There is a time for everything in our liturgical year because our year is structured to help us to grow in our faith. And the summer, we're in ordinary time. And so, like I said, things might seem to be ordinary, but they're actually not ordinary at all. And we'll get back to that. But first, I was thinking about why we celebrate what we celebrate. But first, I was thinking about why we celebrate when we celebrate, right? And for that, we look back to our Jewish ancestors who had a annual worship calendar, you could say, um, that renewed itself every Passover. But throughout the year, they celebrated the Sabbath as their most holy day of the week. And it was Friday at sundown to Sunday. And it was Friday at sundown to sundown on Saturday. And this would be surpassed by Sunday when Christianity later makes its way onto the scene. And as you know, Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And therefore, for Christians, Sunday becomes the climax of the week. And we see by the end of the first century, Sunday is now known as the Day of the Lord. But initially, there was no Christian liturgical calendar like there was a Jewish liturgical calendar. There was just Easter or Pascha. That is what it was called. And still in the Eastern churches, we refer to Easter as Pascha. And it was synchronized with the Feast of Passover because Jesus was celebrating the Last Supper or... Rather, he was fulfilling the Passover sacrifice with his life at the Last Supper. And this occurred on the 14th day of Nisan, which is a Jewish feast. But if Christians were going to celebrate on that day, particularly on Passover, 
they would be celebrating Jesus's death and not his resurrection. And they decided, oh, that's not what we want to do here. We want to celebrate his resurrection. And so decided to celebrate Pascha the first Sunday after Passover. And not long after that was decided on, Christians began to pray and fast for 40 days prior to Pascha to commemorate Jesus's 40 days in the desert. And then as time went on, the calendar began to develop, but it all was revolving around Pascha. After Pascha, then Lent became part of the calendar, and then Holy Week specifically, and then later on, they started to really commemorate the Ascension and Pentecost, and then Christmas wasn't actually a standardized thing until the 14th century, and then we get some Marian feasts added during the Council of Ephesus in 431. But the basic structure of the liturgical calendar is to commemorate the birth death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, and the descent of the Holy Spirit. And all of these seasons within the liturgical calendar have their own mood and liturgical emphasis and even modes of prayer during those seasons. And so back to ordinary time. Right now, we're in ordinary time, and we spend the majority of our year in ordinary time, about 33 to 34 weeks. And the color for ordinary time is green, and green is supposed to symbolize hope, life, and growth. And for me, green makes me think of plants and grass. And if you recall, your body is the temple, right? And if your body is the temple, and what was the temple? It was a recreation of the first sanctuary. And the first sanctuary was what? The Garden of Eden. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, or you don't remember the specifics, Go back and listen to the previous episode titled, What Does the Temple Have to Do With Me? It's probably one of my favorite episodes, and I'll really break this down for you. So really, right now, if we're in ordinary time and it's supposed to be symbolized with hope, life, and growth, that doesn't seem very ordinary to me. That's actually very extraordinary, especially if we think of the fact that it's supposed to represent the sanctuary, the first initial sanctuary, the Garden of Eden. And that is now within us. Why? Because we are that temple. And so Jesus reminded me that this right now, even though it might seem humdrum and ordinary, is not. is not ordinary at all. It's very, it is in fact extraordinary. It's a time for hope, life, and growth. And so I wonder, how are we supposed to embrace this idea right now? in the midst of our current tragedy in the church. You know, Holy Mother, the church has been defiled and the filth has been swept under the rug where it's festered. What kind of a time is this? And I'm right there with you. I'm in the trenches, weeping, mourning, praying for the victims and offering it all up. But in the end, I'm having true hope in the Lord. Because now the Lord has reminded me that all of this has been brought to light and the evil cannot withstand the light. Jesus has also reminded me that there is a season for everything and a time for every matter under heaven. And for me, when I read through Ecclesiastes, what really stuck out to me was including a time to break down and a time to build up. And I know this to be true because because we're... Paul says in his letter to the Romans, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. I know this to be true from life, but also from the history of our church. I love the medieval mystics. And the medieval church was a mess. We had so much going on 
corrupt clergy, you name it. It was a mess. But the Lord gifted us with the mystics of that time. And those mystics not only edified the people of that of that time during that dark time in the church, you might say, but it actually wasn't dark. It was actually very grace-filled. If you go back and you read the lives of these mystics and what they did or their writings, they were totally illumined by the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself and just offered so much richness to the church that can even feed us to this day. And so if that happened during the medieval church and right now we're going through a similarly dark time, not to say that the events are the same, but the darkness is the same. The corruption is corruption. Is corruption. That coupled with all of the holy men and women that I know in religious life, in the priesthood, and lay faithful, there is so much that the Lord can grace us with as long as we pray and fast and really stay close to the Lord. Because the church by her nature is missionary, right? We are missionary disciples. And a disciple disciplines themselves. So what are we doing? We're disciplining our lives, our souls, after what? Or in our case, after who we follow, Jesus Christ. And I know if we truly do that, if we embrace that call to become missionary disciples and to conform our lives to Christ, we will grow the church. We will invite the world into everlasting life and bring hope into the world. We, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will transform the world by transforming ourselves. And so before I leave you, remember that we are called to be the light. Remember that we are called to be the salt of the earth. So stay salty, my friends. Subscribe to Clumsy Theosis, where all good podcasts are found. Share this podcast with your friends and stay in touch with me over social media at Clumsy Theosis. And I do really love hearing from you. So message me and I will get back to you. Thank you for tuning in this week to Clumsy Theosis. Each week, we explore a topic within the Catholic faith to aid listeners like yourself, as well as yours truly, in the advancement and deepening of the spiritual life and the personal ownership of our relationship with the big guy upstairs and his church. As cliche as it sounds, the world needs you. Become who you were created to be with Clumsy Theosis, the place to transform the world by transforming yourself.